This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is Light Fighter Lessons. In this series, we discuss infantry warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, uh, Colonel Matt Hardman, Commander of Operations Group, uh, here with uh, Sergeant First Class Tyler Manship, uh, Muldoon 7, uh, Platoon Sergeant for 3rd Platoon Bravo Company 2505. Uh, thanks for joining us on another episode of The Crucible. So, like up front, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm in the presence of, of really um, a celebrity, at least in the circles I run in. Uh, commanded, I commanded Bravo Company 2505, uh, 2003 to 2004, and uh, there's some folks out there uh, from my past that are super excited that I'm sitting here with uh, Muldoon 7. And so kind of for the audience, uh, you know, we just got done doing a rotation with 1st Brigade 82nd, uh, the Devils, and uh, 2505 uh, provided uh, two companies providing op force support and a bunch of leaders that did an outstanding job as uh, OCTs here uh, in the rotation um, and got the opportunity to talk to Sergeant uh, First Class Manship for a little bit. And uh, we were talking about the defense and you you gave this like 30 minute um, LPD to me on the defense. I was like blown away with, uh, talked to General Leneve, All-American Six about it. And um, yeah, just really impressive. It, not, I shouldn't be surprised. Everything we expect out of uh, great non-commissioned officers, uh, for sure. Um, but you guys are coming back here in April of uh, 2023. And um, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of talk about, you know, what did you learn from this experience? Uh, what are you going to take back to your platoon? What are you going to focus on uh, as, as you help prepare your formation for large-scale combat operations? And so, um, you know, up front, hey, tell me about your career. Uh, where'd you start out in the Army? Where all have you been, Sarn? Sure. So, uh, I mean, thanks for having me, sir. Thanks for, um, thanks for agreeing to do this. So I, um, I'm 29 years old, from Fayetteville, native. So, you know, everybody around me, all of their parents were all in the Army. It just seemed like a logical progression in my life. It's all the people I looked up to were in the Army. So... Joined the Army at 19, um, ended up luckily getting stationed at Fort Bragg uh, in 1st Brigade 82nd, ironically. Which company were you in? I was in uh, Bravo Company 2501. I was uh, okay. with Geronimo. Okay. So um, <clears throat> after, after that, I you know, deployed with uh, Geronimo 2501, and um, immediately upon my return, I went and uh, did three years as an RI over in the Mountain Phase Ranger School, and then came right back to uh, the center of the universe, which is Fort Bragg. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm currently a, a platoon sergeant over in uh, 2505, okay. the Muldoon platoon. So when did you uh, when did you go to Ranger School? What year? Uh, I went to Ranger School in 2015, graduated in 2016. So I I spent a little bit of time in the winter. What uh, what phase did you? Uh... Do, do twice? Uh, I did Darby twice. Okay. I was a, a Christmas Exodus recycle. Okay. So I, I uh, failed patrols my first um, Darby cycle. And I was, uh, I was coming from a scout platoon. And um, I think that I just had a much more relaxed mentality going into that first phase of, of Darby. And I was a lot of things going into ranger school, but relaxed was not one of them. <laughs> I, I could understand that. I was, I mean, looking back on it, it was, uh, well, it was a little bit silly. What rank were you? I was a E4 promotable. Okay. So um, I was, I had already graduated Arslick, Um And I was, for whatever reason, just ultra confident that I was going to just, 
you know, 62 and through. Like I was, I was just going to be, you know, straight through ranger school. It was going to be no problem. And, uh, I, I had a rude awakening waiting for me when, uh, when I got to Darby because, um, you know, I, I failed patrols, which is like, it's not something a leader ever wants to hear. Like, yeah. Hey, you, you did not do your job well enough. I, I could maybe accept spots like, Hey, you, you fell asleep too many times or I'm, Peers would be a, a tough hit as well, but patrols like definitely, definitely hit me pretty, pretty hard. Um, luckily, I had a very, very, very long time to think about it because we uh, we recycled into Christmas break for the RIs, so I was there for about three weeks, and then luckily we got to go on a, a Christmas break ourselves. I came back and then restarted Ranger School and. I think it was January 3rd and uh, that was not pleasant, but it was the one of the most meaningful experiences that I ever went through. And it's one of the reasons that I was proud to go and be an RI. It's because that, that developed my character more than, more than anything. And when I talked to young soldiers about like ranger school and you know try to get you know the the e3 4e5 population to go to ranger school the number one thing that you get out of that is you know the you get your hardest day number one like there since that time i have never encountered a day that i haven't been able to look back and say well at least it's not ranger school yeah <laughs> um even in combat yeah. so uh, that was very valuable. And then, you know, after uh, after that, I went straight through. I started taking it a lot more seriously. And um, luckily, had uh, had a good group of peers, um, had some good RIs that, that taught me exactly how to how to operate. And I just needed to, to be a good person and yeah. not give up. Dude, it's awesome. Um, you know, my, I mean, my experience in that school, I mean, hugely humbling experience. And, um, you know, I think that's a big part and like what you said, like being just a good human being, right? Like that's the foundation of all this. And I mean, we're all like every day we wake up, we're struggling to be good human beings, right? It's, it's active work to be a good human being. Um, but the, uh, no, the humility part of this is really being open to be, to learning. Right. And, um, and that's a huge part of JRTC, right? Like, um, you know, this is like a group ranger school, right? <laughs> Unit level ranger school in a lot of ways. And it's a huge learning experience here if you're open to it, you know, if you're open to learning. Uh, when did you go to Jump Master School? Uh, I went to Jump Master School in 2016. 2016 was a big year for me. Yeah. Um, so I graduated ranger school and my platoon sergeant at my graduation ceremony put uh, <laughs> put E5 rank on me and my and then pinned my ranger tab. Um, so I think, I think it was October of 2016, I graduated ranger school or uh, jump master school. And that was also a little bit of a humbling experience because I once again thought that I was just going to breeze through this school, knocked out um, the nomenclature test, easy. I'd prepared for it, knocked out pre-jump, easy, prepared for it, written test, easy. And then I got to JMPI and JMPI was a monster. And uh, I got my, I got a go on reentry Bravo for, you know, those of those that don't know, that's like the fifth and last attempt yeah. that you have to uh, to pass JMPI. So well, I got to do Jump Master School twice, yeah, and uh, the second time resulted in me uh, going to Jump Master School um, the Monday after I got married, um, which, you know made me really popular in my house yeah. <laughs> going forward. Uh, but uh, no, it's awesome. And, uh, you know, and I bring it up because it's like the expectations of being an, an you know, an airborne leader, right? And mm -hmm. Ranger qualified, jump master qualified. Um, you know, it's not about the badges, it's about everything you described. It's about these experiences that we have that are really character building uh, as well as imbuing, you know, leaders with, with expertise uh, going forward. So, um, 
Yeah. And so, you know, as you prepare for this uh, next experience of, you know, being a platoon sergeant, uh, leading your platoon uh, through DARE-TC, you know, tell me, um, you know, about your experience here. I mean, what did you learn um, OCing, uh, you know, a, comp a platoon from uh, the Red Devils? Sure. So, I mean, there's there's uh, several, like, practical things that I learned and, and deficiencies that you identify and that you learn from. Um, Red Devils have a, uh, they've got some different assets than, than we do. They're employing the new ISVs, which I think are fantastic. And the way that they employed those was amazing for Kazovac resupply. And so as they're filling that gap, um, the entire time I found myself questioning like how I'm going to do this without that asset. Yeah. And um, so there's some, some practical, S things yeah um, so this um this you know one of the things I, I you know had a battalion commander talk about this the last tactical kilometer of sustainment uh, you know what do you learn about the last tactical kilometer of sustainment you know uh, that that you, you know as you think about doing this here in about six months right because you know the unit that's here it's the man in the arena right like uh -huh. you know you you watch what they're doing and you're like man that's hard Right. I don't care who it is. It's yeah. hard. Um, and, and knowing and doing are two different things mm -hmm. is what I've kind of experienced watching here. But so what did you observe? And you're like, wow, like that, that's a real problem that I'm going to have to figure out how to solve. So I think uh, my, I used to have a platoon sergeant that would, would say all of the time. And I think it, it, I was constantly reminded of this over this rotation is that nobody is coming to save you. So when we talk about the last kilometer of, of sustainment, I think that NCOs, uh, particularly at the company and below level, need to adapt a mentality of self-sustaining. Um, now, as far as you know, the last kilometer of sustainment outside of that, uh, I think that there's a myriad of, of creative solutions that I think other organizations excel at. You've got sling loads, you've got... Um, you know, caches, you've got um, half a dozen techniques, but I think that the overall mentality that we need to adopt is sustainment. One of the biggest problems was water. Yeah. And it, it, that's every rotation, right? Whether it's a billion degrees out or, or 35. Um, you know, the division is, you know, embrace like we're going to be 60 pounds or less, right? Um, which sounds like counterintuitive to this, like, hey, you, you got to take care of yourself in this. Uh, and All-American Six has talked about, like, hey, we owe at the division brigade battalion level that we're getting this to companies. And, I, you know, from the, from the COG perspective, like, we did that. Mm -hmm. It's the physical part of getting water into the canteen. It's brutal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't I, – I really think that we need to – revert back to older school um, methods of, of water resupply. Like, like I did in ranger school. Yes, <laughs> like the, the iodine tablets, yeah. the modern version of that. Yeah. We have all kinds of technology now that, that is sufficient and meets yeah. all kinds of Army standards. There's you know, uh, a couple of different water filters that every, every time I see you know, an organization out struggling for water, I always ask myself, why doesn't the platoon have yeah. some form of ability to get water themselves? Like yeah. the, the old school watering, quartering party. Um, and I, I think that that's, that needs to be a way forward because there's so much weight that's associated with water yeah. and water cans, water bags are so fragile that, you know, the, the sling load, the, uh, the speed balls, all of those things aren't necessarily a reliable, as reliable of a method for water resupply. And I think that driving your vehicle up to a, a platoon or company's patrol base is at times like it's, it's not going to be sufficient. So you're going to have to send members of your company or platoon in the absence of the ability to self resupply send them back a kilometer yeah. to, to go get that water. And then they're carrying water cans back and forth. So we had a rotation here um, where we had this conversation on RSY with a battalion and 
you could see the battalion commander and command sergeant major look at each other and like the like it is almost as if the light bulbs went off over their head and they came in the next day and they're like all right so this like sir you know you asked us how we were going to get water into the canteen so we took our companies and we actually went out and we practiced doing it on a stopwatch and we learned a ton and like we like we're taking way too long we got to reorganize and then the next day they came in and they did it again. And um, when they went out into the fight, they never culminated based on sustainment because they'd rehearsed it. Uh, and they actually understood how long it took to move an element back with the right amount of security to bring the water back forward from you know, a D-truck point somewhere. But it, you know, I remember having to do that in ranger school. Mm-hmm. Having to go as part of a squad, collect everybody's canteens, which then gets it. Have you labeled everybody's canteens? So you're, you know, um, and then refill in canteens and and getting enough practice at it to be very proficient at it. Um, you know, so I think some of this that's what it gets to is like we got to practice some of these. I mean, and they're not really, you know, they're they're in like the Ranger Handbook and stuff. <laughs> like we just got to do it. Yeah. Um, and we, by the way, we can do um, water purification here at JRTC. So if you come, like we can do it, uh, iodine tablets. Uh, There's certain spots that we've tested the water and we know we can do it. Or if not, we'll, we'll do it constructively um, as well, because that's exactly what we want. We want people um, that sustainment is not a limiting factor. And, you know, an All-American Six is like, hey, we got to drive, like we got to drive this from the division down to be pushed and sustainment. So really the company problem is how do I get the water into the canteen? Mm-hmm. Not whether or not I have water. Right. Right. Um, what did you see, you know, how, like in your, in your platoon, uh, how do you build like the log stat to feed the company log stat? I mean, do you, do you run status cards in your platoon? Uh, so we don't. Uh, actually, ironically, I literally just made a format for a status card three days ago. Um, I <laughs> Find based, him on the global. He'll send you a copy. Based off of off of this last rotation, um, I do have a log stat format that yeah. I, I keep laminated um, that keeps track of my days of supply of water, uh, MREs, all of my class five and everything like that. So status card. So what you yeah. built this status card, I wish you would have asked. I got a couple digital copies, but it was probably good and cathartic to build it yourself. Yeah. Um, tell me the why behind that, because there's folks that, I mean, again, you know, smart people that have never used a status card to so explain like the why behind a status card. So I think, uh, the, the primary purpose of a status card is Number one, your your team leader, it should be your team leader that's filling out the status card. Typically, in in Ranger School, it's your Bravo team leader. That's I'm, that's maybe an overly rigid interpretation of that. Somebody in that squad, a leader in that squad, needs to figure out by person exactly how much water that individual has. Identify what key weapon systems that person has, what special equipment that person has, how much ammo they have, so that those problems can get cross-loaded or addressed prior to some sort of catastrophe. Um, We had a a conversation about risk uh, not too long ago, and the time to bring up that you're running out of water isn't when you're out of water. The yeah. time to bring up that you're out of ammo isn't when you're out of ammo. Well, and so this idea too of like risk, right? Like, hey, we're going to take care of ourselves. You know, if we're carrying 90 pound rucksacks, we're never going to get to the objective. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're constantly at the company level of sustainment. We're constantly blade running of like 60 pounds is probably really the max that we should be carrying. Right. And the division standard 60 pounds. And that aligns with all the data. Right. The data says, like, hey, if you're carrying, um, you know, X amount of your body weight, you're going to crush yourself. Right. Um, And for most for average, that's probably 60 pounds is probably about 30 percent for an approach marks load sustainable. Um, But to sustain that, we got to constantly be making the system work and the system is only as good as the inputs. Right. Right. And the yeah. status card is the discipline of that system. 
and those inputs. And it gives the team leader ownership. It gives the squad leader ownership. At the end of the day, I think the number one thing that you get out of that isn't necessarily, you're going to get the inputs one way or another because a platoon sergeant's going to going to walk around and a, a good platoon sergeant is going to walk around, a good squad leader is going to walk around and check to see, hey, how much ammo do you have? How much water do you have? There's, we have lace reports. It's, it's built into our systems. Yeah. The thing that matters to me about the status card and the thing that matters to me about the log stat is the ownership aspect yeah. of it. It's giving your subordinate leaders a, the, the ability and the freedom to, to own their part of, of the fight. And when we talk about what is a, a team leader's role, um, everything that happens in their team, they're responsible for the lives of, of three other soldiers and everything that they do or don't do. And so I think it's important to make sure that that team leader has entire ownership and feels like they have the freedom to have ownership of that team. Um, and I think that the, the status card is a really good way of doing that. And it's going to be painful at first. Yeah. It's, you're going to have people that take shortcuts. You're going to have people that don't take it seriously. And that's with everything. And I think that once, once you're able to explain the why and demonstrate the why, then it matters. Now I have ownership. Now I, now I care about it as a team leader. I think the, the fantastic thing about JRTC is it's full of whys. Every, everything <laughs> that you do is either like is, is always exploited. If, if you fail to dig in, we talked about risk as far as digging in. If you fail to dig in and then you take additional casualties, like there needs to be a conversation amongst your squad and amongst your team. Like, hey, this was preventable. So if we're training like we fight and we're taking this training seriously and this is supposed to replicate combat, those two people that just were notional casualties would be dead in real life. Why? Because we didn't dig 18-inch fighting positions? Yeah. That's a little ridiculous. No, I agree. And I mean, and then the risk shifting too of now we're short two people in the fight. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, and... You know, so we, you know, we push I and mean, we talk at uh, the leader uh, training program. I mean, standardized products, right? So having standardized range cards, right? These are habits and discipline. And a crazy thing, like you live in a platoon that does status cards. You'll have privates that will grow up and won't know any different. They're like, well, this is just what I'm supposed to do as a team leader. I've watched my team leader do this for the last two years. This is what I'm supposed to do as a team leader. Mm. Um Likewise, with sector sketches, range cards, um, op orders, um, you know, these they, they provide, I think, a structure and a discipline to do the things that we know if we're if we, our habits and our formation improve the odds of success. Mm -hmm. But to your point, is like the why, right? We got to explain the why behind these things. Hey, I'll give you my why. So, my why of the standardized products, it's easier to train. Right. It's easier to provide. So if I have a standardized uh, status card in for every team leader in BCO 2505, well, you know, company commander can produce those. We can have a couple spares on hand. It's easier to inspect because, hey, everybody hand up their status card and it looks the same. Uh, it's easier to train um, going forward, which gives us resiliency, you know, as, as we have you know, leader turnover, we have casualties or we got to change around organizations. Um, awesome. Uh, what else are you taking away from here uh, that you really want to drive within your platoon? Well, I mean, I, th I think that the most important things, like, you know, there's all these, these pragmatic problem sets and there's, there's all these um, kind of niche things that you'll see that you're like, hey, I, I really like those CCP markings. I really like, you know, the, the way that they, they did X, Y, and Z. But I think the most important thing that I, for whatever reason, always have to relearn actually has to do with culture. So developing character, not necessarily over skill, like you still want to train skill, but prioritizing character over skill. And I think what I mean is, um, you know, back to the ranger school analogy, like the number one thing that 
that's doing for you is developing your character. Well, what I saw during JRTC was, you know, some individuals that were highly skilled, very technically skilled and knowledgeable that whether it be fitness or whether it be um, resiliency, towards the end started to not perform. And then you see some of these individuals that maybe you looked past at the beginning just start to shine and really step up. Um, there, was a, there was a Sergeant Josh Bulldog in um, Charlie Company, uh, Red Devils, and he, in a, a mass cal event, his fire team got separated from the rest of the company. He is now operating alone and unafraid, has no idea that anybody else is alive. And so at that moment, he decides, all right, well, we're going to go to the objective. I love it, man. He took his fire team and was going to go seize a foothold in Sagat Sea. I love it. <laughs> with his fire team, which was like 2K away. So by the time I love it. The, the company, you know, they're in the process of consolidating and reorganizing, and they're like, where is this fire team? They've got accountability of all of their casualties, and, you know, they were just separated, and they're trying to locate this fire team. So by the time they get on, you know, get this fire team on comms, they're 200 meters away. From Sagacite. From Sagacite. Oh, man. This hey. fire team leader was going to go seize that foothold. Is that himself. not the most inspiring thing in the world? Yes. Oh, so when we talk it. about culture, that's the type of leader that, yeah. that I want. You know, maybe. That's the most, that's the most 82nd airborne, yeah. you know. Um, no, it, it totally. I mean, it's like if we can replicate that, right? Like that mentality. And, you know, and, and so, you know, these are crazy things, right? Like. You know, we bring, sorry, man, I got like, got me fired up. You know, I think back, so I had a guy, uh, you know, uh, the, at the time, specialist Campanelli, um, falling behind in a, in a force march. We were uh, doing a company six lane when I was a battalion commander. And um, he uh, he's falling behind, and they hadn't slept in like two days. Uh, this is in Alaska, rough terrain. You know, the first arm's like, Hey, you know, camp, like he's fried. First arm's fried. It's like, why, you know, what's going on, man? Come on. I thought you were going to stay up. And the first arm just kind of wondering that question like, Hey, what's happening with you? You know, camp and Ellie like steps it out, digs deep, gets it done. And it turns out he'd broken his fibia, right? He finished the, he finished the 20 K movement on a broken leg. Now we don't want guys to get hurt and all this stuff, but no. like, Nobody, I mean, everybody in that formation is not going to look left and right, just like in Charlie 1504, and know that they're around people. They're going to lay it all out there to get it done. And, um, I mean, that is really, that's, I mean, you just got to bottle that up, right, and, uh, and sell it because that's the secret sauce. And uh, it's awesome to get a, it's a great story. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, this, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my college soccer coach, you know, I, I called him before taking battalion command and, you know, I just kind of wanted to pick his brain on leadership. And, you know, he talked about how, um, you know, he changed the way he recruited players. You know, he, he went from trying to recruit the very, very best players from a talent perspective and to your point about character. Right. And, and, um, and I think we mold character too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's, he said, you know, I, I realized if I just found the right people with the right mindset, capacity and skill would follow. And I think that, um, in the patience that you describe of like, Hey, there's people that are going to be a little bit late bloomers. If we nurture them, if we develop them, likewise, the great performers, sometimes we overlook like, Hey, listen, like, I know you're doing great. But here's some areas you got to work. I mean, this is like the foundation of leader development, right? We provide counseling and feedback. Like, we got to nurture this, this character um, to help the folks that are, you know, have a bunch of untapped potential, like reach their potential for folks that are high performing to, you know, continue on and to, to great heights. Um, that's it's awesome. Um, yeah, so how do you approach leader development as a platoon sergeant? So I think that that's a... 
I think that's the, the existential question of my time. <laughs> um, because I, I genuinely ask that question all the time. And I think that if you're a platoon sergeant or if you're a leader who's not always asking that question, um, you might be wrong. Like, I think you need to constantly reevaluate uh, the way that you approach developing soldiers. So, you know, to, to the point of, like, striving to develop character, uh, it is my belief that I, I can teach you technical skills. I can teach you how to operate a piece of equipment. I cannot teach you character traits. Now, I, that doesn't mean I can't develop them. But I can't teach discipline. The only thing that I can do in order to increase the amount of discipline, for example, is place you, create a, a dynamic situation in which you either show discipline and are rewarded for it, or you don't show discipline and there is some sort of associated punishment for it. Yeah, consequence. Right. So I think the JRTC... Well, I mean, at the root of it, like JRTC, like, yeah. right? It's like yes. we do the right things and, and the consequences are positive. Mm -hmm. we, we fall short and the, and the con, you know, and discipline has a can have a connotation. It's just doing, doing as many of the right things without being told as possible, right? Yeah. I, yeah, that's. I mean, that's exactly where I was going to go yeah. with that. Is that JRTC is <laughs> is that is one of those proving grounds where it's it's an amazing learning experience, and I'm glad that it exists for units prior to going to combat um, because it shows. It, number one, it gives you that dynamic situation uh, repeatedly. You've got ten days of constant. If I don't do the right thing, even when it's hard. Yeah. There's some sort of associated, it's always going to get exploited. I don't know how it always manages to, to get exploited, but it's always the one position that falls asleep is going to be the one position where the enemy tries yeah. to breach. And, I, you know, it's, it's always, um, it's, a, it's a really interesting situation. But my, my... Yeah, I mean, like as a brigade commander coming through here, like um, my failure as a brigade commander to adhere to the one thirds, two thirds. Like I time thieved my battalion commanders on a couple missions pretty bad. It absolutely got exposed, right? Like it, uh, yeah. the brigade paid the price. Those subunits like paid the price for, for my failure. Um, you know, back to the ranger school. Like I, it was not a perfect ranger student, right? Um, you, you get exposed, right? I mean, high, high, you know, leadership laboratory of high stress and pressure all the time. Um, but that's like where we grow. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that, so the, the first run of the company um, that I was watching described this instead of the uh, the eighth circle of hell, he described this as the eighth phase of Ranger School. Yeah, <laughs> right on. I, I mean, seriously, this first sergeant slept like 30 minutes the first 72 hours. Um, um, he was, first of all, phenomenal. He was a monster. Um, and he was really good at his job. And I really, really, like, there was, there is a, a lot of things that I watched him do, just the little things that I'm, I for sure and going to take back with me. And it, it just adjusts my perspective, I think, more than anything. Like, example is, is as soon as he came into the Alpha Alpha, there was a, a platoon sergeant with a manifest who was getting accountability of all the soldiers. He had a red lens on. And without being in the Alpha Alpha, alpha for two seconds, he was like, hey, put a poncho and a whoopee over that guy. And it's like, it just reminds you, it, you. I don't know why I always have to learn the same lessons over and over again, um, but I do. And it just reminds you that the the little things matter, matter all the time. Yeah, you know it's funny you, you what you said about you know just having the opportunity to to watch like a real pro and learn from them. You know, I, I got I was a task force senior at, at National Training Center as a brigade trainer out there, and I, I mean I got to watch nine brigade commanders and got to learn from every single one of them. And I think that's one of the huge values of getting to be an OCT is you get to come here, you get to learn from other people's experiences. And, you know, we, we tend to highlight like, you know, or, or, oh, hey, this unit did this wrong or whatever. Like most of what I learned from watching other people was like, wow, like that's like really amazing. Like mm -hmm. I wish I would have thought of that. Um, and it's this ability to, to be able to learn from other people in a vicarious way. And, you know, 
t- spoke with your brigade commander, Colonel Taylor, um, and then got a chance to talk with uh, General Eve. And, you know, I thought 2505 maximized this experience coming down here. I mean, the, the two companies, uh, Op4, uh, came, uh, did squad live fires, and then really got after the reps uh, from doing, you know, def- you know defense as well as uh, uh, offensive operations. And then, you know, guest OCTs. I mean, you know, it's like you guys squeezed every bit uh, out of the opportunity to come support, you know, JRTC rotation. But I think that's what, like, great great teams do, right? Great mm. teams take, you know, take taskings, turn them into missions, which then become opportunities, right? Right. Um, going forward. All right. Hey, what advice uh, would you give, you know, the PLs, platoon sergeants out there listening to this uh, based off what you, you know, what, what are the three big takeaways uh, that you've taken from, you know, getting to watch a JRTC rotation up close and personal? Uh, all right. So the, I think the, the three biggest pieces of advice I would say is um, to not get so lost in the weeds of the daily taskings and the the weekly, um, you know, the the taskings that that are always happening. Um, don't get so lost in the weeds that you forget about long term development. Uh, develop niche skill sets and and depth of knowledge in you know members of your platoon. So essentially, talent management. Uh, so have a long term development strategy. JRTC is supposed to be a culmination of your training. And so luckily we're in a place right now where we're about to start our train up, you know, going into squad life fire. So I have the ability right at this moment after going to JRTC to, to focus on who based off of their personalities would be best suited for certain jobs, operating a Raven, Javelin, et cetera. Um, Standards and discipline, like I, I'm, I'm an NCO and everybody always gets so tired of hearing standards and discipline, but at the end of the day, it makes the difference. Right. It makes the difference to arrive at a patrol base and regardless of where you are, regardless of how tired you are and how far you walked, you dig your 18-inch fighting position. You just do it. And you just do the right thing all the time, even when nobody's looking. Standards and discipline matter. And you as a team leader need to have ownership of your team. You as a squad leader need to have ownership of your squad, platoon sergeant, PL. You are responsible for everything that, that your platoon does. And I'm a big fan of uh, Jocko Willink's um, ownership, like extreme ownership yeah. uh, philosophy. And I think that once you adapt a, a mindset like that, then you'll start to see the culture in your in your platoon change. Well, I mean, I think part of that, too, is not externalizing all your problems. Yeah. Right. Like you just take responsibility. Hey, this is mine and I'm responsible for it. And, you know, I don't get a blame battalion or company i don't get to blame the enemy i don't get to blame the bad weather uh you know it's a very stoic view of the world um but it, it is you know it's not externalizing i'm going to control the things that are within my control mm-hmm. um you know not not yelling at squad leaders and team leaders because like okay like if i didn't tell you if i didn't give you enough time if i didn't coach you to do it then how can i be frustrated with you and i that's one of the things i see with standards and discipline is this tendency to like, as soon as we get corrected as a leader to snap at people below us versus like, no, I didn't prepare you, didn't train you. I didn't tell you what the standard was. I didn't ensure that you knew how to do the standard. So now I don't, I don't get to be frustrated with you. Mm. I gotta, I gotta take responsibility for making sure I've prepared you. All right. What's the third one? Um, I would say understanding doctrine. So it's crazy talk. Yeah, I, I know. Um, a lot of people don't like doctrine. Uh, and I think that uh, in some ways the, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq and fighting in an insurgency um, kind of started to push us away from our own doctrine. Um, but like the, the sentiment that I, I said to you that uh, in our last conversation, like before you can think outside the box, 
you first have to understand the box. I see many leaders all the time that are always trying to um, act, act out some sort of TTP that, that was successful you know, for their platoon sergeant or their squad leader this one time without understanding why yeah. it was successful. So understanding your own doctrine will definitely empower you to then make those out-of-the-box decisions. Yeah, I, you know, I think like, you know, an easy one is like the troop leadership procedures, right? Like the reality is like that's time-tested from hundreds of thousands of reps of running patrols in World War II, Korea, Vietnam, wars after, training events. I mean, it is really, it, it works. Mm. You just gotta like actually, to your point, like know it and you got to get enough practice at it that you know how to really do it and do it efficiently. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's no shortcuts and gimmicks. That's what I've found over and over again. And, um, and I've made, made that mistake, right. You know, personally, right. um, you know, I was here as a battalion commander. I, I did not invest in training and developing my staff well enough to truly execute the military decision-making process efficiently. Right. It's like, oh, like I know how to do it. I'll just like, you know, not enough detail um, to, to synchronize the plan. And so, you know, for me, that was a big learning experience and kind of going forward, really made sure I truly understood it. And then I trained it in people. Right. You know, so at the platoon level, like it's not just enough as a PL platoon start to know the troop leadership procedures, but everybody below you has to know them. And then you got to practice it a bunch. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get good at it. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, those are three great, you know, lessons to take out of this, uh, for sure. Um, all right. uh, I'm going to let you, what questions you got for me? Now you get to interview me. What do you think are defines a successful unit and let's say a a highly successful unit and a less successful unit here at JRTC? So, um, you know, it goes back to some of what you said. I mean, I think it all starts with discipline and standards, right? And um, in, in a mature way, right? You know, it's it's not not to be Martinets, but it's like there's a real why behind these things. Um, and you know, I think it, it that's how you that's how you remove a bunch of the friction, mm. right? Like when um, you know, General and Eve talked about this with the team at the start of this rotation. It's like, hey, we're never going to be perfect, but we're going to try and be perfect every single day. And I think that act of, of trying to be perfect, of doing the small things right, even when we're not being told or nobody's looking, those things aggregate together and become exponential in making your own luck. And, um, you know, you can see it in a unit, right? You can walk up to a company um, and you can see a unit where um, people are in the right uniform. Uh, leaders are correcting things, but correcting things in a mature way. Um, you know, when, when I see team leaders bouncing around, checking on their soldiers, um, I know we're going to be in a good place. And, and, and the discipline and standards part gets back to a predictability. Like I trust the people on my left and right because I know they're going to, I've seen them repeatedly do the small things right. Um, you know, one of the most influential things I've read is a uh, command sergeant major hall retired former uh, sergeant major for the ranger regiment in the 90s produced this uh this white paper called the fundamentals of combat and how to train for it i'm paraphrasing but he says the fundamental determinative success or failure in combat is how a soldier feels about his or her peers and immediate leader and so if in a fire team if you know i trust the soldiers on my left and right and i trust that my team leader cares about me by checking what's in my canteen, by checking my ammunition, by checking my weapon and making sure it's clean, by ensuring that I've dug a fighting position. I may not like it all the time, right? But when it goes bad, I'm gonna trust and follow them. When, when I see my peers on my left and right doing the same things, when I got a team leader that's like, hey, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it together. And I got peers that are like, I'm with you. I'm gonna be up pulling security. My confidence that things are gonna be okay um, it, it really, I think discipline and standards breeds trust. Um, you know, I, 
I look at this rotation, one of the things that really inspired me was the degree to which uh, platoon sergeants, first sergeants really fought through the casback problems. And they weren't easy. And it wasn't perfect all the time because it's hard. We make it hard. Um, but there's no way that, that paratroopers from 182 don't believe that their leaders are going to do everything possible to get them off the battlefield. And uh, that trust component all, I think, comes back to discipline and standards like you talked about. Um, and it's not just going to happen. It takes leaders owning it and, and bringing it into existence. Um, and it will never be perfect. And so we, we can't let that get in the way of us striving to be perfect uh, every single day. Um, so that's, I think, up front. Uh, is one. I think in a second one, and it's a theme you talked about, I think it's humility, right? Like it, it's the starting position is that everything that we're doing is really hard, mm -hmm. right? It's not necessarily all complex. Some of it's complex, but it's all hard. Uh, getting somebody to dig an 18-inch fighting position after walking 10K through the woods at night uh, at 2 in the morning in the rain is hard. It's hard. Uh, you don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Uh, but you know, we're probably at the point from conditioning and experience that we'll do it, right? But then, you know, getting other people to do it and do it in a way, um, you know, the best leaders in the world, um, I think, compel people to get things done because, you know, followers don't want to disappoint them. And that's a really, I mean, that, that takes a lot of practice to lead that way. Um, but, you know, I, th I think humility... Um, leaders that are um, open uh, to feedback about, hey, this is what we did well. This is what we didn't do well. These are experiences I've never had before. I haven't had a lot of experiences at it and open to learning, right? Not externalizing all the problems, starting with self and saying, okay, hey, this mission didn't go well. Well, maybe it didn't go well because there were, you know, it was a platoon facing a battalion. But, you know, what I really appreciate here, and I think the units that, that learn fastest here are the ones that are like, okay, I got it. We were fighting a battalion, but did we dig 18-inch fighting positions? Hey, did we have sector sketches? You know, had we really started our EA dev from where we wanted to kill the enemy, right? When you find units that are like, yeah, yeah, I got it. We were being attacked by a battalion. That's a really hard problem. Anyway, so let's focus on what we should have done better. Mm. Like, that's, that's units that, like, are unstoppable. Because they're just going to get the, degree, the the speed at which they're going to learn, um, you know, and training is going to be phenomenal. And oh, by the way, those are the units that are going to learn faster in combat, right? And I think that that's the you know that's a key to winning in combat is learning faster than your enemy. Um, you know, and then I, I think another one is, um, you know, I think from a, a focus on fundamentals. And you, you, this is something else you talked about. Like, hey, like, until we master the fundamentals, let's not be worried about like the trick play, mm. right? Um, you know, it's amazing. Uh, good unit grounded in fundamentals with good leadership and trust and discipline can can solve a ton of problems and can probably do that over and over and over and over again. And I look at like some of the best units I've seen in the army. You know, um, you know, ha had the opportunity to to see some of our you know special operations units um, doing the thing downrange, and I was just I was blown away by their grounding and fundamentals. I was blown away by their humility. I mean, these are elite people um, that are curious about things, are introspective about what they're doing, and they're incredibly disciplined, right? And I, I you know, at the end of the day, I think it's the secret sauce to being successful. Not being satisfied with doing one rep of react to contact at the squad level, but doing it until the PFC can lead the squad and not get it wrong, right? And that's a that's a squad that you're not going to defeat on the battlefield. Um, in turn, in terms of units that struggle, I mean, I think the biggest barrier is coming in here thinking you got all the answers. I think that's a really dangerous thing going into combat. Um, I think this idea that discipline is going to naturally that somehow we're just going to decide in combat that we're going to be disciplined. Um, it's just not how it works. Right. Um, if you stand up on the objective uh, at JRTC, you're probably going to do it in combat. 
um, we're, we're going to fall back on our habits. We're not going to rise to some level. Um, and those would be the two things that I think stand out that are just barriers to learning, right? Most mm -hmm. units, you know, we're fortunate. Our army's pretty good. Uh, most units figure that out, but in, sometimes it just takes a little bit more pain here, um, you know, in training to figure that out. Hey, um, great questions. Uh, great conversation. You know, I, I just really appreciate, um, I mean, for me, like I, I walked away from our conversation the other day um really inspired right i'm not trying to make it blush on camera uh but you know your humility as a non-commissioned officer and commitment to the profession um i mean th this is the secret sauce you know for our army going forward um and you know i appreciate your investment in uh in your leaders and in, in your soldiers and i look forward to seeing you back here in april and we're going to have a conversation after your rotation in april i look forward all to the way sir. h minus Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Maves. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash linktr dot ee forward slash jrtc. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts, and be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC Experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.